1: Hello and welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. My name's Raphael Rowe, and the topic of today's podcast may cause some distress. Please be advised that part of the discussion is about rape and sexual offences. My guest today turns around her experience of being a victim and has, like many, become a voice for the voiceless. Empowering women and children to safely speak up not only helps to avoid years of personal torment, but can prevent and sometimes stop sex offenders grooming their victims. Emma, Emma Jane Taylor, welcome to my podcast. It's it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Your story is an interesting story. It's also a tricky subject because it touches on raw nerves that people may still be going through at the moment, although we won't go into the graphic details of these things. But, But I was told off quite recently by a woman who watched one of my Netflix programs where I was confronting sex offenders and I was referring to their victims, at least on one occasion, as as damaged. And I felt bad that I was being told off that I referred to a victim who was subjected to sexual abuse as a damaged individual. But what do you say to that?
0: Firstly, I think these are really important conversations to have and you know when you talk to someone who's been abused okay yes we've been damaged as such everyone has been damaged all of us through our life journey Uh, and it's how you've come out the other side so you know I don't see myself as uh, damaged I see myself as a survivor now but of course I was damaged to become a survivor You don't become a survivor without understanding where you've come from, whether you I mean, I I never used to like the word victim, but actually I was a victim. I was a damaged victim. So I accept that that's where I was. But now where I am is far from that because I've learned what I've needed to do from damage to success and survive. People respond very differently to these kind of conversations. And also, we have to understand where we are in that recovery.
1: I don't think, sorry to interrupt him, I don't think this individual uh, was a victim themselves. I think they are a therapist who works with individuals who have been the victims of sexual um offences and they were saying to me they were extremely hard to make that victim not feel like they're a victim or make that victim or individual not feel like they have been damaged and they were basically you know praising me for what I was doing but at the same time sort of saying please try to refrain from using terms like damage but surely in order for somebody to mend as you've just said um they've gone through an experience which we would describe as as a victim or they've been damaged or they've been scarred or they've been, you know, whether that's physical or psychological. And I was just trying to, as I do in my work, sort of make this individual perpetrator offender realise the extent of what their act has done on an individual. Now, that may be a sex offender. It may be a murderer. It may be some other kind of offender. But my point has always been to try and drive home the message that, their crime has left behind a, a damaged individual at one point, even if they've now recovered.
0: I think it's always a bit controversial having these conversations with someone who hasn't gone through any difficulties. But I'd like to I would probably like to speak to that therapist as well, because you know, who who hasn't been damaged in some way, shape, or form throughout their life to be a success? And who is who are we to say what you've gone through, what we've gone through, what I've gone through, what the next person has gone through, and how they are thinking. Um, and I embrace that. I am, I accept my pain and my damage and my previous victimhood or, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, because that's what's made me the successful woman I am. And I'm going to shout about that because we can't pretend we haven't been damaged or we haven't been a victim because that's just uh, that's just false, right? You know, we have to be authentic about this. Many people, I, I'm one of m- many, many people who've gone through very many difficulties
1: I've come in really hard there and I apologize because it it wasn't my intention. But just before we got on this call, I got this message through social media and it just so happened that I'm talking to you this morning. So they say the power of thought or coincidence. I don't know, but it just so happened that I was talking to you today on this podcast. And this message came through this morning, and it was one of the first messages I read. And I thought, well, let me ask someone who's experienced this. I mean, your experience is very different from mine. But look, let me ask who emma jane is
0: so yeah, so i am now the ceo of the company called the uh, works company it's a series of lifestyle businesses whether you are uh, four years old or 84 94 104 uh, and it's focused on performing arts well-being nutrition weight management and it's all about how your um, physical body is and aligns with your uh, mental and emotional health as well
1: Sounds like a real a success story. Where did your journey start, Emma? Um, I, I'm familiar with, not not the detail, just what I've read and seen on your website. But for those who don't know who you are, tell me your story.
0: Okay, so when I was nine years old, I was sexually abused by a restaurant owner who had befriended my family on holiday. It was an assault that happened uh, in a matter of seconds, minutes, and it was over as quick as it started. Uh, And I didn't really know what it was, actually, um, Raphael. I just knew that it was wrong. I was nine years old and unaware of these things Um, because I wasn't really sure what it all meant. I just knew that I started to want to be clean. I started to um, bath a little bit more regularly and just became a little bit more conscious of what was going on. Um, I lived with my mum and my stepfather. My parents had divorced when I was two years old. And I was living a really happy life. You know, I used to see my 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 dad every other weekend. I had a great world with my brothers, um, our cat Honey. And every other weekend, I used to go and see my biological father. So everything was sort of going along okay. This happened at nine. And then when I was around 11, 12 years old, there was some rumblings in my family. My father, when I was around 11, 12, kind of pulled me over in a car one day on the way to my horse riding lesson. And he said, you know what? Things aren't great. Um, I'm not sure I can have a continued relationship with you. Now, this man was, uh, was my prince. He was my hero. I loved him. You know, I used to see him every other weekend. We'd go to... Uh, the sweet shop to get our quarter pound of wine gums we'd go home and watch Bruce Forsyth's generation game and laugh but you know the cuddly toy and you know on the conveyor belt and just had a great time so you know I hadn't had not seen this coming you know this man was my uh was just my my fun my fun daddy every weekend you know so uh he pulled over and he just said you know um things aren't going too well and like I said I can't I'm not sure I can see you but you know I'm going to call you tomorrow. And there was a little bit of a story behind it, but he called me the next day. And basically it was a mother's day on a weekend that I was due to see my father. And he said, if I carried on seeing my mum on mother's day, that he could probably not see me again. And I said, well, I want to see you, mummy. I want to see mummy and you, daddy. But he said, well, let's talk it through tomorrow. So he rang me the next day and he said, you know, what's your decision? I said, well, you know, daddy, I want to see you. Um, But it's Mother's Day. Can I be with mummy? And he said, well, look, you've made your decision. I can't see you again. Um, But of course, you know, there was a lot more behind that, I think, going on with parental difficulties. But again, not really ever sure about all of this. So that and that was that. He put the phone down. He said, you know, maybe when you're 16, 17, we can chat again and reconnect. Um, But I haven't seen him since. That was, what, 36 years ago. So you know, that was the start of um, a really serious rejection for me, having been um, assaulted at nine and then the rejection happens sort of 11, 12 years old. I then started to change. I could, you know, when I look back, hindsight's a great thing. Right. But when you start looking back, you really then see the difficulties. Um, and then when I was around 13, a family acquaintance who had, I guess, seen my my pain and my vulnerability became that father figure and became my friend so I kind of can see now how I started to drink more I took drugs I was bulimic and this family friend kind of preyed on me and started to groom me so I was subjected to various different rape assault degrading um difficulties And um, so that continued. So, you know, by the time I was 17, I was pretty exhausted. Around 15, 16, I kind of knew and saw sense to step away from, well, not not saw sense, because I think when someone's emotionally pulled you in and made you feel like that, when you felt so rejected and obviously the difficulties from earlier, you're so unbalanced. You don't really know what's going on. So I became a very nervous child. I was uh, very anxious, very paranoid, had no confidence at all. And so, you know, everything took over. My school suffered, my world suffered. I didn't have a lot of friends around me. I think when you are being so isolated and, and pulled to one side by someone um, as influential as this guy, you do separate out because you don't really understand what, what life is. So, you know, for a big chance, say from nine, three to 16, I didn't really have a childhood as such because I'd been so knocked back in confidence.
1: I just want to go back and, and just pick up on the, the the first incident when you were nine years, years
0: old? Well, unfortunately it was in Greece and I didn't, by the time I spoke about it with my therapist when I was 23, a lot of years had gone by. Um, So you didn't
1: tell your parents at the time?
0: to know. no. And, you know, that is why I'm doing all that I do now because I I have a 12-year-old daughter and I think it's very important we encourage children to speak up and out. So when I look back at as a nine-year-old child um, in that situation, we were in a Greek taverna. We used to go there two or three times each week. We were there for two weeks and we got friendly with these waiters and, and the owners. And so what would happen is the parents would be eating, throwing plates, drinking, having a great time. And the, and the, the waiters or the owners would take the children away to go and see the animals out the back. And, um, and so when we went out on this particular night, I could see the taverna. And, the, and the, the restaurant owner just pulled me away a little bit. It didn't seem actually that far from the other children, but he just pulled me away a little bit. Um, and all the kids were with the animals and that's where it happened. Like I said, it happened as quick as it, you know, it finished as quick as it started, but I was frozen. And so, yeah, so I ran in back into the restaurant, uh, went to the bathroom and I remember that kind of like that nervous feeling, which I can still have at times when you kind of think about the difficulties that children go through. But yeah, I never talked about it.
1: But why when, when, and I'm asking from ignorance, really, and I'm hoping that by having this conversation, as you say, the message gets across to parents, but also maybe those who are trying to elicit information from their youngsters, from their young girls or, or sons. Why, when you ran back into that restaurant, did you go to the bathroom and not to your to your mother or your stepfather and say, that nasty man there or that man there just touched me or said something to me, whatever it is that he did? Why did you not feel at that age that you you could do that? Because you felt uncomfortable enough to go into the bathroom. What was it, do you think, or can you remember now even on reflection? What was it that stopped you from going to your mother or your stepfather and saying, that man just X Y Z?
0: And I don't have an answer for that. All I can think of is that it's lack of knowledge, lack of um, understanding of what's right and wrong. And also this respect we are given to our elders as a child allows us to think that we have to respect them. So, you know, did I not speak out because I was fearful of getting this man in trouble? But, uh, and I think that's something that I've really learned in life. You know, I've protected the wrong people And because I protected the wrong people through my younger years, I was the one who was damaged, (laughs) who became that victim because I didn't know what else I should do. Now, obviously, I'm much clearer and I'm 48 and I I know I don't look it, um, but, you know, with hindsight, it's a great thing, right? Now I'm fully aware of the importance of speaking out and engaging conversation and telling kids if you're frightened, you still tell us. And I guess because I was so fearful, I didn't speak out about that situation.
1: It happened to you again at a different point in your life. Talk me through what happened.
0: So when my father left me, I was very, very vulnerable. Um, And so when I was around 12 or 13, this family acquaintance came into our fold um, and I guess preyed on my vulnerability. And I kind of bought my friendship sucked me into a relationship, sucked me into him being the best thing that had happened to me, the best person in my life. He was my best friend and he would talk about the people in my my, my life in not such a good way. So, you know, when you are feeling vulnerable, you've lost your father, you're not sure on why, you you blame your mum, you blame your stepdad, you blame your dad. You know, actually what I didn't do was blame my dad. <laughs> because I thought it was everyone else's fault that he didn't want to see me. And of course, then I became fearful of speaking out about him and saying the wrong things because I was desperate for that man to come back into my life, put the card through for my birthday or the Christmas, which never came. I was listening, Daddy's Home, Cliff Richard, every night from the age 11 till I was probably 15 years old. And on the Elton John, your song. Those were the things that got me through. But this friend... Was brilliant, right? He bought me, uh, he bought me uh, clothes. He bought me perfume as I got older. He was buying me jewelry. He bought me, bought me a diamond um, and blue topaz ring. Now I'm certainly not, uh, I would say, uh, a girl who goes for that kind of stuff. But when you're a young girl and you don't feel very good about yourself, he was brilliant, right? That's how he made me feel good.
1: And and the man that was making you feel good at 12, 13 years old, that's the age you was at this point, is it? Yes. 12, but the, was he part of your family circle or was he a hidden relationship that no. you were having, friendship?
0: No, no, no. He wasn't anything until this time where I guess he just sort of kind of crept in. Um, through that open emotional door, and would help. Was he, was
1: he a family friend? Was he a friend of your? He was known, just- He
0: was. He wasn't a friend of my parents. He was known to my parents, and so you know, hindsight's again a good thing, right? You know, my parents now know, and when they look back, they can they see that 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 how that all happened really, and that's not great for them because it doesn't make them feel good. But you know, having spoken to lots of people about this, people who want to do bad and treat people badly will find their way in so they become friends with a family they are that person who can be on hand to take someone to school but you know we're living in a different world now you know in the 80s and 90s everyone was much freer you know (laughs) and it wasn't that we didn't know this stuff was going on but it wasn't talked about and of course you know I if you looked at my the picture of my 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 life I lived in a good I had a good environment I had good family we we had a nice world But I was very troubled. Um, And of course, everyone thought my troubles had come from losing my father, which, of course, they had. But it was much bigger than that now, because now I was being groomed by a family friend. So nothing happened for a while. You know, he became my friend. He was always there to listen, always there to speak to me. And so I trusted this man. I trusted no one else, bizarrely. But I trusted this man he took my virginity um, when I was just 13. Uh, And then he laughed at me, actually, because I didn't know what just happened to me. You know, when you lose your virginity, lots of things happen to a woman that I actually didn't even know or or, or was aware of. So again, that's knowledge, right? Knowledge is key to our future success and opportunity. I I didn't have enough knowledge behind me. So I didn't understand that um, losing my virginity meant that x y and z would happen to me and so when I was like oh my goodness what's happened he was just laughing at me and then when I think he realized he'd taken my virginity it made him feel just good like he now kind of owned me as such so then it then the control got worse the sexual abuse got worse and you know life generally just got harder um and as I went in more and more i drank more and more i took more and more drugs because that was the only way i could sustain that friendship <laughs> and that's not a great place to be
1: friendship you describe the the abuse that you were suffering as a friendship that's how much this individual had groomed you to make you believe that he was your only friend and the only person that you could rely on were you taking drugs and drink with this individual had he had he manipulated you in such a way that you as a 13 year old a child believed you were in a relationship with a grown man
0: yeah and so you have an emotional attachment and that emotional attachment is a very weird bond because as you get older you realize it's not a healthy emotional bond or relationship and but trying to step away from it when you have this emotional bond right let me be absolutely clear I didn't even fancy this guy but because he had shown me so much friendship and support that was more beautiful to me than physical attributes he wasn't a nice person he wasn't a good man he didn't you know he didn't behave as a grown man should and I I see that now but when you're when you're at 13 12 13 14 15 he was that friend I didn't have. And, you know, I didn't have anyone else.
1: And that's an important point, And that's why I like having these conversations. Why do you think when you were going through that experience, that your mother and stepfather and any other adult around you at the time were blind to what was going on in, in your life? Because surely this is not something that is easy to to hide i have a young 12 year old daughter and there is no way on this earth that somebody i believe right now could be grooming her in any way because i'm i'm involved in her life 24/7 and she breathes i catch her breath so if she goes anywhere outside of the home i know where she's going who she's with what she's doing just naturally so why would you say Those closest to you at the time, and this is a word of warning to other parents and and young people maybe listening to this, that they were blind at that moment.
0: Um, So we had turmoil going on. We had three broken kids. We had uh, a mum and a stepdad, two other children in that as well. So there's five of us all together. So you know that was the bomb right that's that's gone off in the house everybody's in a in a disarray everybody is emotionally challenged everybody is unsure and uncertain and trying to smooth over the edges trying to make it good because we've all lost our father so while this was going on in the background the 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 knowledge that they had was you know the difficulties at school the difficulties at home were because i had lost my father and, and many Um, aspects of that are true actually, because I was, I I was distressed, you know, like, like, like you were saying, you know, you just as a father and a a parent, you just wouldn't see that. But when you're in a broken home and someone's been taken away and the kids are all distraught and you've got um, external factors with um, step step siblings as well, everybody's in, everyone's confused. I mean, it's like we all had tear gas in front of us for that world for a few years. And so I guess from that point of view it was easier for me to have been groomed had that not happened of course then you would definitely be going well actually something's really wrong with Emma you know she seems very sad she seems very uncertain her schooling is suffered but but because they had the father as the as the I guess the cover up that's how it could happen. And that's why it did happen. And that's why, I guess, all of this uncertainty around my world didn't become apparent till later, because no one really saw it because of the confusion.
1: You're you're 14, 15 years old, this is going on in your life. Was there a moment that you realised something was wrong, or somebody else spotted that something was, was wrong?
0: So when I got to sort of like my 14, 15, 16 year old years, Of course, boys started coming into my world and boys started noticing me. But I was I was this by now, this crazy, crazy chick, right out of control, um, completely wild child. But when boys start noticing you and other conversations start happening, you realize you're with the wrong people. But then trying to get out of that difficulty with the emotional bond you have over someone who's abused you and then go into your own kind of proper world with teenage boys is a very difficult step to take. But also a step that I kind of that's when I that was my that was one of my awakenings in life for sure that's when I kind of realized that I was not in the right environment and I needed to do something about it. But if I go back to what I was saying earlier, I was so scared of upsetting people because um, having lost my father and obviously having the assault, I didn't want to lose any more people in my life <clears throat> because that pain, oh my goodness, that pain rips through your body and it's, is, is a pain I wouldn't wish upon anybody. So I had this fear of upsetting people. So I just kept the status quo and carried on until I realized I needed to step away. But stepping away from someone like that is not easy. But you do start taking it. It's it's not an overnight fix. I mean, this is a matter of years to step away from that person. Um, And then also, when you become 17, 18, I was a much more powerful woman in that, you know, I'd grown up a bit more. So, you know, now he probably feared me more than I feared him. But that's a that's a bit of a development and a journey. And that's because
1: you as a 17 year old realized that that man had taken the virginity of a 13 year old and, and could end yes. up being prosecuted, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yes. And so you become more aware. And I think, you know, and when I was 19, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But I had two epiphanies or I had two light bulb moments when I was around 19. And then that is when my life started to change. But it took sort of the next five years for me to go into therapy.
1: Before we go on to your sort of former teenage years, 17 onwards, you say that you turned to drugs and drink. Who introduced you to drugs and drink? Or was that around you anyway? And it was a natural progression in your life, Emma?
0: I think, you know, as young as a young person, even I mean, I did there was the odd friend around, I think you experiment, there were certainly one or two friends who were around me, they didn't know my story, but they were great, because they liked to drink. <laughs> And that meant that I could suppress that fear and that anxiety, so you know some of my these some of these friends would um be around so I could bunk off school and we 'd smoke dope all day and we'd drink lots of alcohol and sleep all afternoon, and then i 'd get back to the bus stop, and my mum would take me home now at that point i 'm sure you 're going to ask how did your mum not notice it, but you know what there was a year of my life that i didn 't even speak to my parents i didn 't speak to anybody, and I think What's the hardest thing for people to understand now is that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a nice person and I'm a friendly person. But when you go back to my difficult days, I was a horrible, horrible, wild child. I was I would hurt you because I was so hurt. I would I was so damaged. I was damaged collateral. I was really I can I, 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 I always think of myself sometimes like a wild animal out there. You know, and you're trying to hurt a wild animal, they're going to keep fighting with you, right? That's what I was. And I'm sure anyone who's gone through any kind of difficulties would relate to that. You know, what we are now is because of the damage and the difficulties that we've gone through. And we've learned to become the the flower and uh, the beauty that we are now from inside because we've understood how to close that gap of pain and hope. And that's why I do what I do now, because I want to close that gap of pain and hope for anyone going through their difficulties, whether you're five years old or 95. So, yes, yeah, so I was I was not a nice person. And so I was hanging around, I guess. And I hate to say it, but they weren't the people that I would hang around with now, because I think I'm sure we were all going through our own difficulties in life. And I guess you know alarm bells would uh, would absolutely ring in my life now as a parent because I wouldn't allow my daughter to to hang around with anybody who was. It's, taking it's such drugs. it's
1: such a difficult one though, yeah. and, and and I look at you and I think, okay, thinking about you as a teenager and wild, how do you have that conversation with today? Because I know how difficult it is. I'm in the same world, yes. and I'm constantly trying to to inform youngsters about you know, if you continue down this path, you're going to end up just like I was or, or do these things and those things. It's probably one of the most challenging things as an adult to look back at yourself and see in other people who you were and what you were like, and then try and figure a way out of steering them clear. It's got to be one of the biggest challenges in life.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, when I look at it, so if we go back to your question about, you know, drinking the drugs, I was with people who had that stuff. The person who was grieving me had that stuff. You know, I haven't had a drop of alcohol or anything sinister in my body since I was 23, 24. I just drink water and mint tea now. And I'm really happy with that because I now I'm cleansed. I'm fresh and I I'm I'm living this wonderful world that I live in. Um, And it's successful for me. and, And I don't mean monetary. When I say that I've become my own success because I've understood the power of my journey. Now, when i was around people who had drugs and who had drink i was like yeah 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 where where are they you know where can i get them because it made me feel better i'm certainly not proud of that part of my journey but i'm also own it i own it because i know that it's this conversation that will help other people look at other people in their life and their world and actually see the difficulties i could have easily been written off and i had been written off many times as a as a as a, a, a senior teenager as such you know And I think it's really hard for people to see me now and and associating me back then, unless you knew me back then. And of course, the people who do know me back then do understand and recognise now. And hindsight is a good thing, you know, knowing what they know now, they would have helped me.
1: You're 17, 18. You're going through this crazy teenage years. Some do, some don't. You did. What happened next to change things?
0: I was... Like I said, I was in a circle of people who um, they weren't necessarily bad people. I was just in the wrong place with them. And I was working in bars and clubs. And uh, one of my regulars came in and his name's Chris. And I have spoken to him about this. And he said to me, EJ, what do you want to do with your life? And I was pouring his pint. And I said, oh, I I just like to go back. I'm a a dancer by trade, actually. I'd like to go back to my dancing and do something in the fitness industry. Anyway, and he started laughing. (laughs) And I said, why are you laughing? And he said, but you're just a crazy wild child. Of course, he didn't know my story. He just saw me as this party girl, you know, a bit gobby out there. And he didn't understand or couldn't relate. I wasn't relatable, I guess. Uh, he said, no, he said, you're never going to do that. You're just a party girl. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is not my legacy. And it was a real... It was a it was a turning point, it was a bit of an awakening. And then when I was 19, my stepfather had a heart problem and he was rushed down to Harley Street in London. And we thought we were going to lose him. Now, um, if we go back a few years when my biological father left me, I was I hated well, I, I hate's quite a strong word, but I really had a dislike for my stepfather and, and my family. And the pain that I felt, and I and I didn't really relate to anybody. But when suddenly at nineteen, my stepfather had this heart condition, and then I kind of looked back over my years and I thought, you know what? He is the only man who's loved me, and it's suddenly like the penny dropped. This guy who I have punched, I've bitten, I have given them all enough to think that um, life's horrendous, I've probably caused some of the the medical problems in their life. Now, this man was lying in hospital in a very critical condition. Now, this man who loved me, he gave me a roof over my head, he, you know, he gave me wonderful uh, life and upbringing, even though I had all my difficulties. Um, He put food on my plate, and now he was lying there. And it was a it was a, a bomb, absolutely a bomb in my heart. My heart just almost shattered again because actually I realized the man who I never wanted to lose was now lying here. And he was the only man for me. And so I sat on his bed um, he had heart surgery, had an open heart surgery. And I wouldn't leave his bed. I didn't leave the hospital I cried, I think, every second of every day until he came home. And I said to him, I apologised. Um, I said, please come home. Please get better. I need you. And um, I can't do this without you. And even now I feel slightly emotional about it because it was the moment I realised that there was someone good in my life. And he came home. He's 85 this year. Uh, he's my best friend he is the best father I could have asked for he loves me and through that emotional swap I then decided I needed to do something with my life I then picked up the phone I called a therapist who lived miles and miles and miles and miles 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 away because I didn't want to bump into her in the high street because I thought I was the only person who's going to see a therapist at that point and I thought I was the only person who had all these troubles inside of me and uh, I went and saw a therapist and I cried for about an hour for about four weeks (laughs) And then it was her who said, right, you need to talk to your parents and, you know, you need to free yourself from this. And so that's when the next stage of my growth started and I started to reconnect. And I, and I guess, you know, my black, I describe it as my black heart then started to feel a bit cleaner
1: when you decided to make that call, and there must be lots of people out there who are in that position right now and will be in the future, when you made that decision to call the therapist, what was it you needed to talk about? Was it the, the sexual abuse that you experienced, the drinking drugs, the wayward, wicked, wild life you were leading? You were done with, with the internal suffering that you'd been suffering, the black heart you talk about.
0: Yeah, I think it was the pain. It was that sheer, it was there in my head constantly. You know, I'd wake up, it was there. I'd go to work, it was there. I'd have lunch, it was there. I'd come home, it was there. I'd go to bed, it was there. It was there, 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 there. But now I was ready to embrace my pain, look at my pain, face it. And so she would undo that as a a form of her professionalism. She would undo that. Where do you start? I cried, you know. I think a lot of it was a pain from my father leaving me. Um, and then obviously the assault and and the abuse would follow that I was so damaged I was at that point a a victim of my own world uh, and I no longer wanted to be damaged and I no longer wanted to be a victim
1: Do, do you know what strikes me and I want you to hit me over this it because I don't know this world and I'm trying to understand it so other people understand it and they can do something about it where it's necessary. It all started when your, your, your dad, your biological father rejected you. How do you answer the question when people sort of say, in order to replace your father, do you think that women and men, young boys, girls, will allow a predator into their life to replace something that's missing? What is the thinking here? What did you learn that you can help me understand?
0: I think, um, you know, anyone who's gone through any kind of um, sexual abuse and difficulty, you know, if I, if I hadn't, if my father hadn't have left when I was 11 or 12, yes, of course I had had that difficulty at nine. I would have probably dealt with that a lot differently than I did with the rest of my life. But because I had some instabilities going on, I was very vulnerable and open, I guess, at that point to any kind of friendship and reward. And I don't mean by being groomed. Anyone who would make me feel better about myself because I'd been rejected, I'd been abandoned, I felt worthless, I felt pretty, pretty rubbish in my life. So, you know, when someone comes in and they bring you friendship, that's like, that's that's magical, right? Because no one is giving me that now. That's not because I'm not being loved. It's just because no one is understanding the situation and the difficulties around my situation. Now, people who've gone through, uh, the, the people I speak to, I speak to a lot of people around these conversations all the time. And there will be quite often a vulnerability that has led to and it's, it's not for certain. It's not absolutely one hundred percent that this would happen. Sometimes it happens out of the blue, but there is quite often something that has made that person feel a little bit vulnerable that they then become receptive to a new friendship.
1: You, you made a big decision to call a therapist, and that helped you open up and reveal mm. your your history.
0: Yes, um, but that took me, you know, what nearly fifteen years to do that. Right from my first incident at nine to be able to speak up about it. And, you know, like I say, I'm 40, I'm 49 this year. And I I would check in with someone now if I felt that I needed to, not because I need to go over my past and rake up my past. But if I have any moments that make me feel vulnerable, I might not have undone that. So I just need to have a conversation to work out what that means to my life going forward and, and how I can develop my success. So I went through an A to Z of therapy at the age of 24. And no one knew, actually, I never talked about it until into my 30s. As I went into therapy, I started my business. And as my therapy went, my business grew. And as I as I grew, I became much more confident. And I realized I'm not alone. I am one of very many people who've gone through these situations and is suffering with these real physical difficulties.
1: But were you keeping your therapy and what you were discovering about yourself, what you were able to reveal, how you were able to sort of soften that black heart, if you like? Were you not taking this out into the world that you grew up in, i.e. to your stepfather and mother and sharing with them your experience? Was this all cocooned in that world of human therapy?
0: When I was 23, 24, I did start telling my parents. So I sat down with them and I will never forget that conversation around the dinner table. Um, I'd gone over there after my session and I shared everything with them. And there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of questions. There was a lot of um, anger. There was a lot of uncertainty, but also it was a lot of clarity, actually, that it made much more sense. And again, you know, my parents are lovely parents, but they just don't have that vocabulary that we have or I certainly have around these conversations to be able to support other people. So. You know, and there was a lot of things like we get, we got lots of pictures out. We ripped up lots of pictures of the people who had, uh, I guess, abused me um, and treated me badly. We got rid of everything. It was like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a cleansing situation. And of course, we've talked about it over the years. I think my parents find it very difficult to sort of have these conversations with me because it, may, it doesn't make them feel great as parents. But having talked this through with lots of people and lots of parents, this isn't this isn't this isn't uncommon. You know, this stuff happens an awful lot. And by doing these interviews and conversations, if we can put a little bit of a thought process into children or adults about where their child is right now, we can start looking at things differently. And, you know, that way with child, maybe you need to just sit down and just see where they are and what's going on. And can you check in a little bit differently, keep an eye a little bit differently and open up conversation that might push this through to uh, a successful outcome? So, because it makes
1: it even more difficult with, with social media. I mean, the grooming that goes on, that's yes. a whole new, oh. whole, 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 another. It's terrifying. Ch- challenge. J- just in terms of once you came out and explained what had happened to you did anything happen to those offenders because I think that's important isn't it especially the 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 man who taught your virginity I mean was there anything done because if they did it to you they could have done it to others um I mean what did you find out
0: I think that will always be my biggest regret and I think the fear of the person that grew me was huge because of the person he was and, were, you know, his, his own environment and the person he was. You know, he certainly wasn't from a nice family. And um, so then you have a fear of what might happen if you do start speaking out. And of course, it, we shouldn't have this fear. Um, but I did have that fear. So I never got spoken about. I remember bumping into this person in a, a bank and I was probably 26. I'd been at an interview that day, so I was all suited and booted. I kind of stopped drinking. I was still quite nervous as a person, um, but I felt good. I had my heels on. I had my power suit on. My hair was done. I walked into this bank and I just sensed that something was wrong. And this person now was a lot older and very little. And I felt like I was towering above them. And uh, I don't know what it was. I just could not take my eyes off this person. I bored into them. And then this person turned around and didn't even look at me, but walked out of the queue. Now, I don't think I'm a champion. I don't think, yay, I've won. I just think I started to find a new confidence about myself. And, and I started to realize, actually, what happened wasn't right. Now, we all have our own normal life, right? Your life is normal to you. My life is normal to me. What's to say that my life isn't normal? And you're, you know? so. You know, whilst what's happened to me isn't right and it isn't correct, and, and people should be prosecuted, and 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 people need to talk about this, this has become my normal. This is all I know in my world. This is all I've known that people treat me badly, so I've had to really un- un- undo that and understand that it isn't what I need in my life because people don't behave like that normally. Um, so as i sort of stood in that queue I then became aware of my life a little bit more and understood that actually this is who I am this is this is my normal and it was a real kind of another little awakening that I took with me when I obviously started speaking out later in life um, but lots of these little happenings happen in our world and then we go back and in hindsight we really sort of understand what they mean to our world and I encourage people to speak up. I, do, I encourage people not to be fearful. But of course, you know what? There's some really bad people out there. And they, uh, you know, if people treat people the way that I've been treated and other people have been treated, what's to say what they would do anyway if they found out that you were speaking out about them?
1: It's very difficult, isn't it? Because I suppose you've embraced, as you said at the beginning, you've embraced your life experiences and you use them in, in the world that you live today. Part of your work is 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 driven by your, your life experiences. As the dust where all the problems originated from, at least that turned you into a wild child. As all that settled now and moved on that you yourself have become a mother, you are a successful businesswoman, entrepreneur, etc. and a Public speaker, and you run your business helping other people who have gone through similar traumas?
0: Absolutely, because I couldn't do what I do now unless I dusted, settled. So, what became apparent for me throughout my years of therapy was forgiveness. And actually, forgiveness was one of the pivotal points of my success. Now, it's not forgetting and it's not forgiving what they've done to you, but it's forgiving that actually these perpetrators. And I, I call them three perpetrators, my the guy who assaulted me, my biological father uh, and the guy who groomed me. They have their own issues. Right. Whether they choose to deal with them is not my business. But I was becoming bitter and twisted and angry. I, I, and I actually, I would have done time for life if I could have done back in that day. I, and that wasn't my journey. So, you know, I had to understand how I could go, look, I forgive you for what you've done to me. It doesn't allow me to forgive you what what you know, how you've treated somebody. But I've, I have to forgive you uh, and use what I've taken from that to make my life a success.
1: But you've told yourself that you've never directly told them this is what you've told yourself to move on. You've not sat in front of these individuals.
0: No, no. And. I understand actually I I have written a letter I have written a letter to my biological father um, because there's obviously there's been some happenings over the years and and he just doesn't want to sort of know me or anything and so I've kind of put pen to paper and actually just so you know bullet pointed it (laughs) I'm but I'm okay now right I mean I'm okay I have a beautiful daughter I have a beautiful life I'm doing in a world that I thoroughly enjoy I don't expect you to respond to me Um, I just want you to know that actually when these things happened to me, they really did affect my life. And as they've affected me, I've actually learned to grow from them and become the person I am today for them. Um, And I wish you no harm because I wish no one any harm.
1: What does the term second chance mean to you?
0: So I think when people put their faith and trust in me as a professional woman to take the journey that I'm doing now to give back and, and have this complete faith in me by knowing what I'm doing to give back is from the right place and so I've been given a second chance to live my real life had I not had the goodness of the people behind me who recognized I have a good heart and a good soul and 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 a good head about me that then who knows where my journey might have ended up. Um, But I, I think sort of for my early 20s, 30s, and even now, people contacting me and giving me an opportunity to share this story is a second chance for me to live out my life knowing I've made a difference. And I talk about success as not being monetary, and that was really important for me. It's not about monetary success. It's about being here now, seeing out the rest of my years, knowing that I have made a difference to certainly my daughter's life and other people's lives, that they can think differently about where you're going and what you need to do to succeed. And that, for me, is my second chance.
1: Uh, Have you spoken to your daughter about your past? Does she know your your history?
0: In in bite-sized chunks and watered down, because I think it's too harrowing for her to know the full story at 12 years old. But she's aware, obviously, I've written a book. I've been in lots of different articles across the world. And she is now on the internet herself. And I do tell her you know, let mummy tell you when it's the right time. So she does respect that. And so we talk about it in bite-sized chunks. She knows what I've gone through because I think it's really important because she's at that age where she's at senior school and people might say stuff to her about her mum. So yeah, bite-sized chunks, there's still things she needs to know about, but I'll do that when I feel it's the right time for her and um, her growth.
1: And just finally, what does the future hold?
0: Um, so I'm writing book two and book three at the moment. Um, so that's sort of my next sort of project. I want to continue these conversations, continue the growth of authenticity, using your voice, understanding who you are, and do my bit to com- to, to complete that change and help people. And, and if I'm a small part of people's change, then it's been the the, the most important thing for my future success. I am connected now with so many people good people across the world who want to to work with me on the various platforms that I work on to share messages not just about abuse but lots of conversation um, that is difficult in many people's lives so that's kind of where I continue to grow and certainly for the next I would say five years
1: and does it never get tiresome having to repeat the story share that journey
0: I think if I hadn't spoken up about it and got the support, I'd probably feel much more weighted than I do now. So every time I speak, it's quite liberating and, and, and freeing. And so when I first spoke about my story when in 2017, just three years ago, I, I think I was, I, I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted, emotionally wrecked, because it was the first time I'd spoken out publicly. Here we are now, three years later. And my partner always says to me, he says, I know your story inside and out. And it still gets me, yet you talk about it. So not matter of factly, but, you know, I suppose I've done it so much and I'm sure you're aware of that. It becomes part of your part of who you are and the work that you're doing as opposed to uh, exhausting you. Of course, you know, throughout this conversation today, I was a bit emotional about talking about my stepdad, but it doesn't pull me down and stop me. It makes me go, this is great. I'm doing what I know that I need to be doing. And it's a good thing.
1: Brilliant. Well, look, Emma, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And I hope that that the listeners take away many things, you, you know, if not one of the most important, that if they are themselves or have themselves gone through any experience, whether it's sexual abuse, domestic abuse or some other experience, as you say, it's all relative to, to that individual, um, that, that now might be a good time for them to think about you know seeking therapy or sharing that story getting in touch with you or, or anybody else that that can offer them a, a way out of 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 carrying that weight so thank you so much Emma for, for, for sharing sure. your thank story. you
0: for thank you for speaking to me about this because uh, it's a great opportunity to like you say make a difference
1: If anyone listening to this is experiencing what Emma did or suspects someone of being a victim or perpetrator, listen to Emma's words of advice and seek help by speaking out. Thanks for listening to this podcast and please follow and subscribe. It really will help to keep the podcast going and please share on social media. The aim is to upload a new episode with a new guest every week. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a DM via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or any other means you have to make contact. All the links are in the description. This episode was produced by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J. Rowe Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe.